Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Have you ever gone through a stroll through the woods and have come across a set of stairs that have no business there? I have. I have mentioned a few times on this podcast about how I was born in Brooklyn and grew up on Staten Island. That's New York for those of you unfamiliar. When I first got to Staten Island, it was a very different place than it is today. The houses were spread out, and there was plenty of wooded areas for kids to go and play and explore. That's where I came across my first staircase, sitting in the middle of the woods, not far from my home. Now, as a kid, I really didn't think much of it. I didn't dare climb it, not because of the creepy vibe or anything like that, because I heard my mother's voice in the back of my head that if I did such a thing, I would most certainly break my back a warning I received throughout most of my childhood. Thinking about it now, a set of stairs was something that shouldn't have existed where it existed. Firstly, in the grand scheme of things, the United States is an infant compared to the rest of the world. A structure of the size that would have housed that staircase would have been immense. And for it to have completely disappeared, leaving behind only the stairs, would have taken forever. I remember the trees growing around it were huge, and we all know those things don't just spring up overnight. The first recorded European contact on the island was in 1520 by Italian explorer Giovanni di Varazzano, who sailed through the Narrows on his ship and anchored there for one night only. The Dutch did not establish a permanent settlement on Staten Island for many decades after that. And seeing as how William the Conqueror built Windsor Castle in 1070 AD and that puppy is still standing, and the stone building that I assume surrounded those stairs around the corner from my parents' house is not, something has to be at play here. Something I can't possibly understand. Staircases like this aren't uncommon. The internet is flooded with stories and urban legends. In Viterbo, Italy, there is a large stone megalith with stairs that lead to a small platform at the top. Scholars believe the structure dates back to 7th century BCE, or before. No one knows what really took place on these steps. However, 
Etruscans did perform sky-based divinations and sacrifices of animals and people. In the Cambodian Siem Reap province, a puzzling 2,000-foot-long abandoned staircase ascends the Phnom Kulon Mountain. Experts believe the structure dates to sometime between the 9th and 13th century. However, experts aren't sure who built it or why. In Chesterfield, New Hampshire, a set of stairs in the woods has earned a legendary reputation. Although not a true mystery, the staircase rouses curiosity. Well, there is a story behind it. During the 1920s, a Persian music hall singer, Madame Antoinette Sherry, built her castle in the woods of Chesterfield to serve as a summer retreat. Although it didn't boast dimensions of a true castle, it was a rustic French chateau with a stunning stone staircase, complete with Roman arches that led to the second floor. Madame Sherry held lavish parties, and rumors have it that scandalous things went on there. She may have even supplemented her income by operating as a real madam in business with many beautiful ladies. However, when the madam fell into poverty, she abandoned her chateau. In 1962, the castle burnt down, and today, only the stairs and part of the foundation remain. One of the earliest of all reports actually originated from the Philippines. Torquic is an experienced ranger and is often tasked with searching for missing people in the local jungles. This is something that occurs on a regular basis because the jungles and forests in that area tend to be too dense and difficult to safely navigate. It was during one of these routine patrols that Torquic claimed that he found two staircases that led deep into the forest. Out of curiosity, and to get to a higher vantage point of the forest ahead, Torquic decided to climb the stairs. The first staircase was a stone structure with decorative carvings on it. The second staircase looked more like something someone had put together with natural stones in the immediate area. Torquic did not see any signs of missing backpackers, but he did see a stray dog that appeared vicious. He hastened forward further up the stairs to avoid the dog. Unsuccessful, he finally returned to civilization. Torquic was met with news that was both unfortunate and baffling at the same time. When he arrived at the ranger station, he learned that he had been fired from his job. From his perspective, he had been out for a number of hours, but the truth, as told to him, was astonishing. Torquic had been out on patrol for five years. Another great story came from a man who claims to work with the CDC as an infectious disease specialist. He said that in the 40s, after the Roswell crash, reports of animal mutilation surfaced. The CDC was called in to assist with the investigation, which was supposed to last only a week or two, but in fact, lasted six months. During that time, various people working in the field reported weird stares that were giving off some type of frequency. They stationed their campsite about 30 meters away from the stairs and spent the night, but when they woke up, the stairs had moved. On the ground where the staircase had been was a dark black spot that appeared burnt. He continued with his story. Next two days, the staircase reappeared, but 50 meters away. They decided to do some readings and tried to sample part of the staircase, but the wood structure staircase was harder than steel. None of it could be chipped away for sampling. Although the investigators determined that the stairs emitted a frequency, they couldn't figure out why or who was receiving it. And six days later, the stairs vanished. Another tale about a staircase in the woods involves two Swedish students who were out hiking. Axel and Isaac had been traveling for miles, and presumably hours, when they came across a staircase in a clearing miles from anywhere. They were both puzzled, but they couldn't agree with about what to do. Alex wanted nothing to do with the stairs, while Isaac was much more daring. He wanted to climb them, and did so. The instant he reached the top, 
both youths heard a blood-curdling shrill scream that was sufficient to make them flee the scene. Eventually, they stopped running and recovered their breath. That was when someone put a hand on Axel's shoulder. Assuming it to be Isaac, he glanced backward. Isaac stood behind him, at a considerable distance, much too far to be within arm's reach of him. Whoever, or whatever was responsible for the touch, Axel recalled that it felt cold. Another account of abandoned stairs in the forest and national parks surfaced on Reddit. This report referenced a park ranger who was training another young rookie ranger in the immediate aspects of the job. The ranger took the rookie and told him about his own experience when he and another man found a lone staircase in the woods. They thought that it was weird. Nonetheless, the man climbed onto the top and held out his hand to grab a branch of a tree. At that moment, something cut his hand off. Whatever caused this was a mystery nonetheless. The clean-cut wound made him bleed profusely, and oddly enough, no one could find the hand. A different ranger reported about a time when he saw a woman head up some similar stairs. She complained that something was wrong before she collapsed and died. Later, authorities determined that she had suffered a fatal aneurysm. Although those stories are presumably intriguing legends, Many people really have seen random stairs in forests. While we might expect these types of stairs to lead to shrines or temples or to serve as steps of a steep part of a hiking trail, the steps that lead to nowhere are the strangest of all. Reddit user Search and Rescue Woods shared his story with a post on the site. I asked about it the first time I saw some, and the other officer just told me not to worry about it, that it was normal. Everyone I asked said the same thing. I wanted to go check them out, but I was told, very emphatically, that I should never go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now when I run into them because it happens so frequently. However, Jessie V on TikTok has something else to say about this matter. She has gained quite a following sharing stories about this phenomenon. She explains, if you ever see a random staircase in the woods, you have to get away as fast as you can and never climb them. There was a story going around a couple of years ago stating that there are abandoned staircases in national forests around the world, like deep, deep in the forest, away from anybody. It's just a staircase, no other structure attached to it. Some stairs are in ruins, some are perfectly sturdy, some are iron spirals like the kind you find in lighthouses, and they literally just reach up to nowhere. Jesse continued, there are so many different theories as to why these stairs are there and what actually happens when you climb them. Only a few have ever dared to climb the staircases, and the people who have report feeling unnerved or unwelcome, and even nauseous when they're on the top of the stairs. Some people say that the stairs lead to another dimension. Others say they lead to hell. Others say that's why so many people and kids go missing in national forests, because they climb these stairs, and are never seen again. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part? is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. 
His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Rick Scott was a 28-year-old nature enthusiast, hiker, and vlogger. His YouTube channel, unimaginably titled Rick Scott Hikes, generates only a couple dozen views per video, but that doesn't discourage him from uploading them regularly. The fact of the matter is, it helps him and it's cheaper than therapy. It was a few days into his series about New Jersey's Pine Barrens, a place that has fascinated him ever since he was a kid. Such a dense forest so close to a major metropolitan city and shipping hub just didn't make sense, and it had to be full of amazing history. On one early Sunday afternoon in September, Rick was at the tail end of one of his hikes and captured some pretty amazing shots for his channel. The battery on his GoPro was flashing red, and he needed something that he could use for his cover image. Something that would grab people's attention. That's when he saw it. A stone staircase, sprouting from the ground about a hundred yards ahead of him. Covered in vines and moss, it looked like something out of a fairy tale. He started to run toward it so he could set up his tripod and capture an image of himself standing on the top. Afraid that if he shut his camera off, there wouldn't be enough juice to turn it back on. Once he got up close to it, he couldn't believe the size of it. The structure had to have been built around this had to have been incredible. He really didn't have time to marvel at it, though. He was running out of battery. The red warning on his screen was blinking faster and faster. He knew the time for the shot was running out. To make matters worse, or for Rick at least, the sunlight was peeking through the trees overhead at a perfect angle, bathing the top of the stairs in a golden hue. It looked angelic. This was the perfect shot and time was running out. The smile on his face was ear to ear, but he had to be quick. He was fumbling with his tripod, frantically trying to attach it to his GoPro. After it was connected, he placed it on the ground and lined up his shot. He only had one chance at this. Odds are, by the time he got to the top and struck his pose, he was thinking right hand on his hip with his left leg up a step or two in a Captain Morgan-esque pose. Or perhaps the Luke Skywalker from Star Wars poster. Nah, not enough lightsabers, he thought, and a smile crossed his lips. He had the angle. He had the light. It was perfect. He dropped his pack and quickly made his way to the stairs. The blinking red battery light very prominent in his mind. He felt this excited energy coursing through him as soon as he stepped foot onto the first step. The moss under his feet was slick, so he had to be careful climbing. A few times, his feet almost went out from under him. As he made his way to the top, he noticed how steep and thin the steps were. Steeper as he got closer to the top. Not safe at all. But he didn't need to be safe. He needed it to look good. A good cover image for a video could be the difference between his normal hits and going viral. This could change his life, he thought. He didn't know how right he was. As he was swapping his feet around trying to nail the perfect pose, his feet slipped out from under him. 
To Rick, it felt like everything was in slow motion. He saw the ground, the cobblestone steps, and then the sky and the trees. The sun caught him in the eye, and all he could think of was, I hope the battery died and I don't capture my death on video. You're supposed to empty your bowels when you die, and that's all he needed. His entire life began to flash before his eyes. Lucky enough, neither happens. Well, he didn't die. He landed hard on the packed earth below, just narrowly missing the jagged rocks that surrounded the stone staircase. All the air quickly knocked from his lungs, and the world slowly started to brown out around him as he clung to consciousness. By all counts, that should have been a lot worse than it was. He laid in the dirt for an undetermined amount of time, catching his breath and thanking every holy entity he could think of. Because of that, he didn't hear the approaching footsteps. He didn't know someone was there until he heard her voice. I'm really glad you're okay, but I'm even gladder that I got to see that. I'd give it an 8 out of 10. You really didn't stick the landing. Rick, now immensely embarrassed, as well as in pain, slowly and awkwardly got to his feet. Ugh, oh, well, you're in luck. That was just practice. I'm about to go back up and give it another shot, Rick said with a grimace. And through a shared laugh, that's how Rick met Alice Yen. Alice helped Rick collect his camera and gear, and upon checking, the battery was dead by the time he packed it up. They got to talking after they gave Rick a once-over to make sure he wasn't more seriously hurt. They slowly started walking the trails out of the woods together, and just got to know each other. Once they got to the street where Alice's car was parked, Rick did something that, under normal circumstances, he would never do. He asked for her phone number. Rick was a very shy guy, who was also very much a homebody. His last date was set up by his mother. He didn't even hesitate either. No stutter or anything. He asked for it like he was asking for the weather. And to his surprise, she gave it to him with a smile. They began texting almost immediately. But that only lasted a few days. Then it was all night phone calls. Then dinners. Before they knew it, they were officially dating. The only thing that suffered during this was Rick Scott Hikes. His YouTube channel hasn't had an update in months. As a matter of fact, his camera is still in his hiking pack, still dead, sitting under his bed. And that's where it stayed. That is until Rick and Alice got an apartment together a year later. Both of their families came over to help pack up each other's places and unpack at their new digs. They brought them food and housewarming gifts. Nothing but warmth and laughter filled that place that first night. Sitting on their couch in their new place, well after 2 a.m., Rick sat back and looked around at the amazing life they built so far with each other. He looked over at Alice sleeping next to him curled up on the chaise, and his heart filled with love. Sitting across the living room on a small table in the corner among the boxes sat a small ornate lamp that belonged originally to Alice's grandmother. It was brass in color and had a stained glass shade attached directly to it. It was something that her parents held onto to pass down to their daughter after her grandmother passed away. It was really beautiful. The glasswork was full of amazing colors. Each side of the cube-like shade had a different bird on it. Well, they were really all the same bird, but just in different colors. Red, blue, green, and yellow. It was the blue bird that got his attention the most. It was doing something strange. It looked as if it was hovering over the lamp, slightly lifted off the shade like it was copy and pasted into reality. It had to be his exhaustion. It's been a really long day, but he couldn't focus on anything else. It was that bird. 
Something wasn't right about it, and it was beginning to make him feel eerie. Alice lightly slapping him on the leg and telling him to come to bed was what snapped him out of his trance, and he got up and walked past the lamp, on his way to the bedroom, giving it one more glance. And it looked how it always looked. Like a normal old lamp. That night he had a dream about the day they met. But it wasn't from his perspective. It looked like he was observing from Alice's. He saw him at the top of the staircase, saw himself fall, saw himself writhing in pain on the floor for what seemed like forever. And then he heard the first words he ever heard her speak. I'm really glad you're okay. He also noticed the bluebird landing at the top step. I'm really glad you're okay, echoed as a blast of his phone's alarm woke him up. As the morning went on, the dream faded from his thoughts more and more, until he had almost no memory of the details. Life marched forward, and Alice and Rick shared many of life's precious moments in that apartment. Birthdays, holidays, an engagement, and a wedding. They shared the joy of announcing their pregnancy, and the heartache of their miscarriage. All in all, life was good. They did eventually move out of their first place together, and into their first home a place they brought their firstborn daughter home to, followed by their son two years later. The Scott family played a game every day when Rick got home from work, once the kids were old enough. A trivia game based around their day. It was a way to keep everyone involved in each other's lives and off their phones. It's been 12 years since Rick literally fell into Alice's life. He has no memory of the life before her, which I feel is a common feeling when you're thinking about your loved ones. It was during one of those games when Rick noticed the lamp again, it was doing that strange, detached-from-reality thing. His focus quickly left his family in their activity and locked on that lamp. Alice and the kids definitely noticed and started looking in the direction of the lamp as well. Alice maybe thought he saw a bug, and his oldest Lucy thought he was playing a game. What is it, Dad? Lucy asked. It's the lamp. You don't see what's going on with the lamp? Alice and the kids looked over at it. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary to them. It looked a bit dusty. If this was Rick's way of saying they needed to clean a little better, there was more subtle ways to go about it. We both have full-time jobs and are raising a family, damn it. It just looks like my old lamp, Alice replied, confused, getting up and walking over to it. Rick had a small moment where panic moved over his face when she touched the old thing, but nothing happened, and the fear quickly passed over him. Even as she was picking it up, it didn't look right. Alice suggested they all go into the kitchen and get ready for dinner. From that day on... Rick obsessed over the lamp. Every day it was exactly the same. Work, come home, stare at the lamp, followed by sleep, and the dream. The day he met Alice. I'm really glad you're okay. Over and over. Maybe this was a way of his brain telling him that he's not okay. Maybe the fall knocked something loose, and all these years later, he's starting to feel the results of it. His obsession was also starting to put a strain on his marriage. He decided to see a doctor and get a full workup. Cat scan, brain scan, whatever they had to do, the works. But the results came back clean. No trauma of any kind. That actually made things worse. The lamp became the only thing he could focus on day after day. It was just starting to get weirder and weirder. He could have sworn it had gotten bigger. Alice desperately wanted Rick to go talk to someone. Just because they couldn't find something physically wrong doesn't mean everything's okay. But Rick insisted he wasn't crazy. I know what you're thinking. Just throw the lamp out. Throw it right in the garbage. 
It may be a family heirloom, but you'll get over it. Tried that. Didn't work. One Sunday morning after having the dream, I'm really glad you're okay. He woke up and stormed into the living room, scooped it up off the table, yanked the plug out of the wall, and walked it outside to the pail and spiked it in. By the time he walked back into the house, it was sitting on the table. In the spot it always sits, doing that weird pasted-into-reality thing that it does. He tried to show Alice, and when he put it in the garbage with her after much protesting and came back into the house, the table was empty. She went back outside and picked up the lamp out of the trash and put it back on the table, saying how she humored him, but this was the only thing left from her grandmother, and she's not throwing it away. One day, when Alice was out with the kids, she did a lot of things alone nowadays. Rick threw the lamp in his car and drove it clear across to the other side of town and threw it out of his car into a wooded area. By the time he returned home, the lamp was there waiting for him. That was his breaking point. He's been defeated. Life for Rick from that day forward was a shell of his former life. The life of his family moved on as well. Rick stopped going to work. He stopped sleeping in his bed. All his time was spent on the couch looking at the lamp, watching it pulse, watching the birds lift off the glass, watching it grow. His daughter Lucy didn't give up on her dad, though. She would bring him food and sit with him and tell him about her day. For Lucy's 16th birthday, Alex took her, her brother, and a few of her friends on a cruise instead of having a big party. Rick just stayed home. When they left to catch their flight, she came over and gave her dad a big hug and kiss, told him she loved him, and said something that almost knocked him out of his trance the lamp had over him. Don't forget about me. Minutes and hours slipped by like they always do, and Rick sat planted staring at the lamp alone in his house. He nodded off on the couch, and the dream came again. The stairs, the blue bird, the words, I'm really glad you're okay. But then something else happened. More words. His daughter's words. Don't forget about me. That startled him awake. What scared him more was the lamp. It was vibrating. Almost shaking off the table. And it was getting bigger. Pulsing and growing in size. Rick's heart was racing a mile a minute. A chill shivered down his spine and his body was covered in goose flesh. The lamp was getting bigger and bigger. The glass birds were now completely off the shade and they were circling the top of the lamp. Rick was almost hyperventilating. With each vibrating pulse, the lamp grew in size. An eerie white glow started emanating from behind the lamp, enveloping it in light. Rick was scrambling back onto the couch almost pushing his body through it as the lamp doubled and tripled in size. In a matter of seconds, the lamp was huge, taking up all of Rick's field of view. Eventually, all he could hear was the vibrating pulse, and his vision was just a glow of white with a hint of copper-colored lamp sprinkled in, and then, black. His eyes opened, and he was moving. Looking up at a dimly lit sky, branches and stars were dancing above him. He was on a stretcher being taken out of the woods by EMS. Luckily for him, his phone's battery was better than his camera's. His family was able to ping it, and his brother found him unconscious laying where he fell. They called an ambulance, and they were able to cart him out. Rick slipped in and out of consciousness the whole way to the hospital. He suffered a pretty major concussion, gashed his forehead and needed eight stitches, and broke his wrist as well. When he woke up the next afternoon, his family was at his bedside. 
but it wasn't the family he was expecting. He saw his parents and brother, but where was Alice and the kids? He asked his mother if she called Alice. She took the kids on a cruise. I don't know if she'll have service. It's Lucy's birthday. His mom just smiled at him, confused. She didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He did just take a big fall and hit his head. Over the next few days in the hospital, Rick learned that the life he lived with his family, the years he spent with them, was nothing more than a dream brought on by a head injury. That couldn't be the truth, though. He remembered all of it. He lived an entire life. He remembers his daughter's face and the words she spoke to him before she left. Don't forget about me. And Alice. The love of his life. The woman who broke him out of his shell and made the life with him. She couldn't have been part of his imagination. The following months were really hard on Rick. He fell deep into a depression any time he thought about his family. He looked anywhere he could for answers about what happened to him. He scoured the internet's hiking forums, asking if anyone knew anybody named Alice Yen who hikes in New Jersey. His search of Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn yielded a ton of Alice Yens, a fairly common name, but none of them were his Alice. Most nights he spent in bed, crying himself to sleep, full of regret of all the time he lost, obsessing over the lamp. He tried to remind himself that he lost no time. He wasn't a family man pushing 50 with teenage kids. He was still a 20-something, but that didn't help. The life he would end up building, he was convinced, would always fall short of what essentially was the life of his dreams. It was on one of those sleepless nights that he spent pacing his apartment that an idea dawned on him. He was thinking about when him and Alice first moved in together. And he was packing up his stuff when he remembered his hiking bag. The camera. That might have something on it. It's been laying in his pack dead since that day. He got up and scrambled around his place looking for his pack. And he found it in the place where he knew it would be. Right where it was when he packed. Under his bed. He pulled the camera out of his pack and tried to turn it on. It was stone dead. He rummaged through the junk drawer in his kitchen for a micro-USB charger and found one and plugged it in. He'll have to wait for it to have enough juice to stay on. His laptop didn't have an SD card slot, so he couldn't just pop the card in to see what shows up. He just prayed there was enough power on it that day to pick up something. Anything. The next 15 minutes were excruciating. Deep down, he knew there could be nothing on there. If he was lucky, the battery would have died before he falls and he would save himself the embarrassment and pain of seeing that. He paced back and forth in front of his kitchen counter, staring at the camera as it charged. Finally, the GoPro screen lit up. He quickly unplugged it from the wall and directly into the laptop. He imported the video files onto his hard drive and paced some more while waiting for the files to copy. Once complete, he started scanning through them. He found the one of the day he found the staircase and scanned through it quickly, dragging the cursor across the video's timeline. Fast forwarding to the end of the video. He watched himself quickly setting up the camera on its tripod, climbing the stairs, and falling off, and laying on the ground before cutting to black. He backed it up a bit and played it from the moment he was on the top of the steps. His breath caught in his throat, and he held it while he watched. Here comes the pose, the slip, the fall. He cranked up the volume and put his headphones on to be able to hear better. Perhaps if the camera cut off before he heard the words he was expecting before the words he dreamed about on a nightly basis. Perhaps he would be able to hear footsteps. He sat, leaned into his computer screen for what felt like forever, staring at his writhing body. Then he heard the snapping of a branch off camera, the crunching of leaves. A bluebird landed on the top step. His heart stopped when he heard her voice. 
I'm real. Black. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Music by Kevin MacLeod. (laughs) 